0: You know, for the first four weeks of this series, I saw the snowfall and I thought, wasn't that cool? I'm not thinking that today. <laughs> Thank you for coming out today. Give yourselves a hand <laughs> for getting out in the cold and the snow. And would you give it up, please, for our incredible volunteers. We, when this service is over, we'll be right in the middle of eight Christmas Eve services, and whether the building's been full and nearly empty, these guys have been—they have been here, and they have done what they're doing. I mean, in the middle of an ice storm, a snowstorm, many of them have traveled good distances to be here an hour too early. So, no place but New Spring Church. That's what Brett said this week on his show, and and he's right. Um, I just want to say first of all how glad i am that you're here and if you weren't part of this series up till today just let me have about half a minute to give you a review we're in a series called seasons greetings and this is probably my 25th or 26th christmas series here at new spring and i've done christmas series just about every way you can do them but without a doubt and even setting aside my pollyannish tendencies this is by far my favorite Christmas series I've ever done. And you're laughing at me, <laughs> but it's really true because I, what, what, what got me about this is in the first Christmas, God broke up the painful normalcy of everyday life with five incredible messages when Jesus was born. And I believed as I got ready for this series, and I believe it infinitely more than I believed it when I started These are messages that are true for you. They're true for you because Jesus came into our world. If you were here for week one, the week before Thanksgiving, I told you the story of Zechariah, which is really how the Christmas season and the New Testament begins. After 400 years of silence, radio silence, God shows up and he says to a man who thought that life had forgotten him. You're not forgotten. Remember with Zechariah. And, and that's the message that God gives you because Jesus has come into a world. You're not forgotten. God knows you. He knows where you live. He knows your hurts. He knows your dreams. He knows your fears. And, and so God hasn't forgotten you. And then week two, oh, what a great message for you that the, he gave to the wise men. Actually, he gave them this message four or 500 years before, but his message to them was chase the light. You know, we're here at all different stages of our Christian life, but, you know, here's the thing. God never asks you to have somebody else's spiritual experience. God never tells you to travel someone else's spiritual journey. How many of us are envious of somebody because their, their walk with God seems to be much more vibrant or it's a different kind of walk than ours is? I can be that way with, with Mary Alice sometimes. She has such a spiritual journey with God. And for me, I'm much more pragmatic and dynamic, you know, in, in, in my life. But here's the thing. God has never asked you to have somebody else's spiritual journey. He's asked you for one thing. Just chase the light. Whatever light he puts in your world, chase that light. Follow the light. And then week three, which is my favorite of all this, we'll never forget, if you were here that weekend, you'll never forget the weekend we talked about Barry, how that God said to us, miracles are not abnormal, it's just when the normalcy of heaven touches the normalcy of earth, it's when heaven kisses earth and brings what's normal in heaven to what's abnormal on earth, and then last weekend, what a great message we got, because Jesus came into our world, it's now safe to do the difficult thing, that's what God told Joseph, but this morning, my message is called Good News for Everybody. I want to take you to the night that Jesus was born, and scriptures that you will know well, whether you're a church person or you've just watched the peanut special through the years, you'll know this, you know this scripture <laughs> from Luke chapter 2. It says, there were in the same country uh, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night, and behold an angel of the Lord, just one, stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, and by the way, this is interesting because all the messages that came from the angels in the first Christmas season always were prefaced by this statement, don't be afraid. You know, I think that's our biggest issue today. I was on a radio interview show this week and, and one of the one of the hosts asked me what I felt was the biggest issue with Christmas today, and I said, I've lived long enough to see it go from greed and materialism to anxiety. I think anxiety is the biggest thing on our plate today, and we need to hear that message that God is telling us. We don't need to be afraid, because whatever you're dealing with, as we're going to see there's good news behind it. If, God forbid, you're dealing with cancer, I'm so sorry, and I'm proud of the battle you're waging, but there's good news behind it. Even if you're dealing with the breakup of a relationship, and it's very painful, Even still, there's good news behind it. You know, if you're dealing with just maybe your career drying up and blowing away, and I'm really sorry about that, and it's unfortunate that's happening way too often in America, but there's still good news behind it, as you're going to see. And so the angel said to the shepherds, don't be afraid, for behold, that's like saying, wow, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Now, I love that because it's like a redundancy, isn't it? It's like I'm bringing you good news of good news, or I'm bringing you great stuff of great stuff. And, and so hold on to that for just a moment. I'll come back to it. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, or the word for there means because. I'm bringing you good, good news of good news because there's born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, remember this. Whenever you say Jesus Christ, and I hope you don't use it as a swear word, Jesus is his name. Christ is his title. Okay? If you say Prince Charles, you understand Prince is part of his name. Charles is his name. Prince is his title. Christ is Jesus' title. It means Messiah. Jesus is his name. It, Jesus means God's salvation. Jehovah is Savior is what the name Jesus means. Okay? All right. Who is Christ the Lord? And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. Remember, there was one before. Now there's a multitude of them. Jesus told Peter when the night Jesus was arrested, he said, hey... Put your sword up, Peter. If I wanted to, I could call 12 legions of angels. We believe that's 72,000, but who knows? Who's counting, okay? So maybe that was the whole bunch that showed up that night. And they were in the heavens praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And here's your good news and good news. You ready for it? And on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. Good news and good news. Peace and goodwill. How many of you use the expression, you've had somebody use this expression with you? I got good news and bad news, right? we were accustomed to that. I say that sometimes to my staff. You know, I, I served on four staffs before I became lead pastor many years ago. And so when I talk to my staff, a lot of times I'll say to them, I have good news and bad news for you. The good news is I've done your job. The bad news is I've done your job. <laughs> and, and that's just the way we talk a lot of times. You know, I've got good news and bad news. Um, and we, have, we tell jokes about that. One of my favorites, thinking about football season, which, by the way, we're starting a brand new series in January called Going Pro to the Playoffs. I'll talk about that a little later. It's going to be awesome. But in this NFL season, there was a guy that had followed the NFL all his life, and he, but he was a couch potato, you know. And, 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 and you, you've met some people like this. You know, not only was he a couch potato, he never had been an athlete, but he dreamed of himself as being a great NFL quarterback. He saw himself in his fantasies as being a great NFL quarterback. One night he was visited by an angel. It's not a true story. One night he was visited by an angel. And, and the angel said, you can ask me anything you want to ask. He said, well, I have questions about heaven. The angel said, just let her rip. And so the guy said, well, I got a question. He said, I really want to know two things. He said, I want to know, first of all, is there NFL football in heaven? And number two, I want to know if there's NFL football in heaven. Since it's heaven, will I be able to play? And the angel said, I have good news and bad news for you. First of all, the good news. The angel said, yes, there is NFL football in heaven. There is even a team there called the Chiefs. And the good good news is you are going to get to be starting quarterback. And the guy said, that is so good. What could be the bad news? The angel said, you're starting tomorrow. I guess that would be good news too, right? Now, what is the psychology behind the statement, have good news and bad news? It's just the human experience that if there's good news, there's usually a catch. Or if there's good news, there's accompanying downside to it. And so we say that, I have good news and bad news. But what I love about this is that on the night that Jesus was born, the angel said, I got good news and good news. And what's more important than that, the angel said, I've got good news and good news for everybody. So I'm just going to tell you, I don't know what your circumstances are. You came out, you fought the snow to get here today, but I'm going to tell you, nobody is going to leave here with bad news today. If you came here, there's good news and good news for you. So you can just relax and smile and get ready to open your presence from God because there is good news and good news. Good news for everybody. I know circumstances and life situations have changed since I was a kid. I'm an old guy. But let me just ask you a question. Have any of you ever been in a Christmas experience, maybe a gift swap, gift exchange, and you got left out? Maybe names were drawn and you were absent that day and you didn't draw anybody's name and everybody's sitting there swapping gifts, opening presents, you you're just sitting there and you don't get anything. Or maybe everybody was supposed to bring a gift and you brought a gift, but somebody didn't bring a gift and you turned out to be the odd gal out or the odd guy out. Isn't that an awful feeling? Well, what's good about this is the angel said to the shepherds, there's good news for everybody. And no matter who you are, what you've done or where you, where life finds you this morning, I have the privilege of telling you on Christmas Eve weekend, there's good news, and there's good news. I have long believed that there are two essential questions about God. And this is true whether you're a non-theist or you're an ardent Christ follower. You may be here today and you say, I don't believe in God. Or you may be here today and you have a long-standing walk with God. I really, in, in this particular moment, it's immaterial to, to this point. I think there are two essential questions that all of us wrestle with regarding God. Whatever your concept of God is. Here's the first question. Is there a God? And the second question is, how does that God feel about me? Those are the two big questions. You know, you can just sort of shake all the religion out of your hair and stuff that we've all picked up. Those are the questions. Is there a God? How does that God feel about me? Now, the challenging question is that second one. I've got a lot of friends here in 9th and I'm suspicious of the fact that deep down inside, they believe in God more than some of the people I pastor. It's just that they're aware that that's, if they ever entertain the possibility of a God, it's a very slippery slope because it slides you right into that second question. And that second question is the one that eats us up because here's the deal. Because any of us who look at nature, we're cognizant of one fact. Nature is it's supremely ordered. You have six trillion cells in your body. We, we know a lot about cellular biology that we didn't know. We didn't know until 1958. There was deep, I mean, when Watson and Crick discovered that long molecule, we began to understand, wow, not only are our cells there, but our cells are extraordinary in all the information they contain about us and their ability to replicate. So we, even just looking at the cell, we're cognizant of the fact that mm, if there's a God, this is a God of supreme order. And that's not even counting looking at the universe, looking at all the interrelationship of nature, just looking at the incredible different systems that are parts of our bodies. See, that's the issue. If you ever entertain the idea of a God, then that God is very ordered. But therein lies my issue I'm not. I'm broken. I'm flawed. I don't work the way I'm supposed to. I think I just keep giving away my age. Maybe it's the Christmas season. But I can remember vending machines. You know? <laughs> I don't know if you remember vending machines. And there would know, be signs. on so a Coke machine or something. I'd go up and there'd be a sign on the machine say, out of order. Sometimes I feel like I should wear that sign around my neck. Out of order. Mark doesn't work the way he's supposed to work. And that's my issue. See, when I look at nature and I see the order of nature, and it kind of gives me a clue about God, and I look at me and I see I'm, I'm not in order, then I begin to wonder, well, how does God feel about me? And here's the reason, and Guys. We're living in a world where atheism is becoming more predominant, and I'm promising you the reason that is we're the most out-of-order culture that ever lived in the history of the free world. And so very easily it's like, well, I don't want to worry about how God feels about me. It's just safer to stand over here and say I don't believe in God. But it's whistling through the graveyard. It doesn't fool me. I know the issue. The issue is if there's a God, how does he feel about me? Well, for those of us who do believe in God in our culture, it's, it's sort of, we, we sort of guess how he feels about us. We sort of project onto God the way we would want him to feel about us. Well, maybe God feels good about the people who are trying, or maybe God feels good about the people who aren't terrorists, you know, and, and the deal is all this, and please, this is just, let me just get to the bottom line real fast. Here's the deal. Our projections, our thoughts about how God feels about us are totally worthless, because only one thing matters. How does he feel about us? If you're not expecting you to die for a long time, you're probably not worried about it. But if you thought you were going to go into eternity in 24 hours, you'd be really concerned about this. You would know that you couldn't guess. or There's no poll taken in heaven about how God should feel about us. God's not worried about seeing the or People magazine or anything like that. How does God feel about us? Now listen, here's the thing. There's only one way to know. We have to hear it directly from him. And on the night Jesus was born, God sent the angels, I love this, God sent the angels to tell us how he feels about us. God says, number one, he has goodwill toward you. God has goodwill toward everybody. I love who the message came to. When Jesus was born God sent the angels and I love this he didn't send the angels to the religious leaders he didn't send the leader he didn't send the angels to the political uh, political elite he didn't send the leaders to the uh, angels to the business class he sent the angels to shepherds now for all of us who grew up in the Western world and watched the Peanut special well the idea is that well that's just sort of the way it rolled but you should know something shepherds were the last people in the world you would expect God to talk to they were the forgive the word. They were the losers of society. Unless you were the youngest kid of a family that owned sheep, you know, like David, if you were hired to be a shepherd, you know why you were hired? You don't, you don't know how to do anything else. You can't, you can't fix something. You can't make anything. You don't have any education. You don't know how to make money. You don't know how to do anything. The only thing you can do is stay out there in the fields at night and watch sheep. I mean, shepherds were the losers. In fact, I love this. Shepherds were the people who had probably in the minds of the people wasted their lives. They were the last people in the world. Uh, People looked down on shepherds because, quite frankly, if they had to stay out with the sheep, you can imagine what they smelled like. They couldn't take baths, and then they couldn't go to the temple or the synagogue, and the religious elite thought they were ceremonially unclean. And yet, I love this, on the night that Jesus was born, the angels filled up the sky and put on a program that was the first Christmas program. The angels put on a program for the last people in the world you would expect God to feel good toward. I don't know if that helps you, but that helps me because what I know about me sometimes, I feel like the last person in the world God would love. And I'm guessing that deep down inside, there's a little bit of that in each one of us. And we feel like, God, we're the last person God can love. See, here's the deal. I know how flawed I am. You don't know. I try to tell you as much as I can. But the truth of the matter is, you don't know how flawed I am. I don't even remember how flawed I am. But I know I'm broken in so many ways. There's so many ways, so many things I would like to get right. I always tell Mary Alice, I want to grow up before I die. I feel like the last person God would love. And for me, when God showed up to the shepherds, it was his way of saying, look, to the last people in the world, I want you to know I have goodwill toward everybody. Do you know this? And guys, this is not original with me. This is original. I was just reading a few weeks ago my favorite author, whose name is Harry Ironside. He wrote this in 1937. But he said this, and I love it. He said, God has never had one hard thought towards you. Could you just let that settle in today? God has never had one hard thought towards you. On the worst day of your life, when you were doing the worst thing you've ever done, God never had one hard thought toward you. You may have had hard thoughts toward him because you presumed he had hard thoughts toward you, but God's never had a hard thought toward you. Harry Anson went on to say, God does not love you because Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you because God loved you. God has goodwill towards you. You may be the last person in the world. You say, Mark, I'm an atheist. God still, you know, he say, I don't believe in God, but God believes in you. God loves you. He has goodwill towards you. You say, Mark, I'm not a particularly religious person, but God still has good thoughts towards you. You say, Mark, I've made horrible choices. Put her there, partner. So have the rest of us. But God still has good thoughts towards you. On the night when Jesus was born, and because Jesus was born, the angel said, God said to the shepherds, goodwill toward everybody. And that's directly coming from God. That's not coming from a minister. It's not coming from a religion. It's not coming from a want to believe poll that Americans have put together. This is coming from the throne of heaven. God is saying, You can't stop me. I have goodwill towards you. And then the second message peace on earth. Peace. Again, we contextualize that as part part of the Christmas story, but the angels would have understood that was a rather interesting, peculiar statement, because 20 years before the angels had said peace on earth, um, the Roman emperor Augusta had declared what's called Pax Romana. If you've studied history, you know that's the Roman peace, and basically what the emperor just declared is the whole world is at peace. And I'm sure that that was a benefit, but as the the Stoic philosopher Epictetus said, (laughs) the emperor may declare peace between armies, but he can't declare peace with what's broken on the inside of us. That's a paraphrase. How many of you have discovered you can't just declare peace? Every parent of more than one child in the room is part of that fraternity. How many of you have learned you can't declare peace in the backseat of the car? You can't declare peace in the house. You want to, y'all stop it right now. No more. But you can't declare peace. And even, see, here's the thing. The Roman emperor couldn't declare a real peace because he couldn't change what was broken on the inside of Romans. And beyond that, there were Roman soldiers standing at every corner to enforce the peace. And a lot of us have discovered that there's an enforced peace, but it's not a real peace. I'm talking to 21st century Americans who live in a turbulent world in a fractured nation. And you're saying, Mark, I have a problem with that. If the angels declare peace on earth, I don't know about where you live, but there isn't peace in my country or peace in my neighborhood or even peace in my home. I want you to think about peace for a moment. Peace is only announced because Jesus is in the world. Peace will never come through a plan. It will never come through a program. They can give the Nobel Prize away for years, and it's still not going to mean peace. Peace comes from a person. In Isaiah 9, 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah wrote this. For to us a child is born, the angels quoted that. For to us, a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. Now, work with me for just a few moments, and I'll be through. I agree with you. There's not peace between people, there's not peace between husbands and wives, there's not peace between parents and children. There isn't peace between classes. There's not peace between nations. There isn't peace between socioeconomic groups. And there isn't peace between races. I know that. But the reason why there isn't peace between people is, listen to me, number two, people are not at peace with themselves. You show me a person who hates someone of another race and I will show you a person who hates himself. You show me a wife who is continually not at peace with her husband, I will show you a woman who is not peace at peace with her own heart. You show me an abusive man and I will show you a man who is not at peace with his own heart. And you show me a person who is not at peace with his own heart, and I will show you a person who is not at peace with his God. Now, the Bible says that Jesus came to bring peace, and that peace starts when you have peace with God because if you have peace with God, you can have peace with yourself, and if you have peace with yourself, you can have peace with other people. So if you don't have peace with yourself or peace with other people, you don't have peace with God. But you can try all day long to have peace with other people, and you won't solve it. And you can try to make peace with your own heart, but you can't solve it. Not until you have peace with God. Honestly, I didn't intend to bring this in the Christmas Eve service. We were coming home from Texas this week. And I had a thought. Have you ever thought... That walls are a cheap substitute for peace. People put up walls where there is no peace. They put walls around their community. Because they're not at peace. Walls are a cheap substitute for peace. The next time you look at a nativity scene. And you look at that baby lying in a manger. I want you to understand something. He Came into our world to tear down walls. First of all, he came to tear down walls between you and God. The Bible says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I don't have time to do this. Next year we're going to have a series on Job. And Job, you know, he had so many troubles and he couldn't find God. And in the worst of his troubles, he said, oh, that I could have a daysman. The closest word we have for that is an attorney. So if you're an attorney, you realize you're an important person because you, you represent, you, you, with one hand, you reach out and you touch the client. With the other hand, you touch the law and you bring them together. But I think it's even deeper than that. Job was saying, I can't get to God. I can't touch God. I need need somebody who can reach out and, and touch me with one hand and reach out with the other hand and touch God and bring us together. When Jesus came into our world, that's exactly what he did. He was human so he could touch us and he was God so he could touch God and he stretched out both his arms on a cross and with one hand touched us and with the other hand touched God and he brought us together. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that wall, that ultimate wall that separated us from God, that we couldn't get to God and God couldn't get to us, he broke it down. Now here's the thing. Listen, please. If I have peace with God, I can have peace with Mark. People ask me all the time a question. I never know what to do with the question. People say, tell me how to forgive myself. I don't think that makes any sense. We're not the wounded party. But I think there is a sincere legitimacy behind that. I think people just don't know the right question to ask. I think what people are saying is, tell me how to be at peace with myself. Because the thing of it is, we, can't, we just can't deal with the brokenness. We can't deal with how, how flawed we are. And you know what we do? Like I said a moment ago, we put up walls. Just like if we don't have peace with God, you can put up walls between you and God. About the things that God has done to let you down, and you put up walls there. But you can do the same thing with your own heart. How many of us? How many of us have parts of our hearts that we haven't visited in years? How many of us have walled off emotions? That we, I mean, here's the deal: other people don't even know who we are because we don't know who we are anymore. We have put so many walls up in our own hearts. But the thing about it is, if God loves me and if God sees me as forgiven, I don't have to be perfect, I'm forgiven, then I can go to all those rooms I've walled off in my life and say, oh, even though I am imperfect, God loves me. And when I can do that, then I can love other people because I'm okay, I'm healthy. I can love you if you're a person who has a different personality than me. We can love people who have different opinions than we do. We can love people and celebrate the fact that God has made us of different, races and yet one family. See, if the walls are broken down between me and God, then the walls can be broken down in my heart. And if the walls are broken down in my heart, I can love Mary Alice. And I can love my kids. I can love you. And I can even love people who maybe aren't easy to love. Have you ever considered that the baby in the manger came to break down walls? Goodwill. Goodwill. Oh, you can't stop that. You can hate God, but you can't stop him from having goodwill toward you. Peace, that's something different. Yeah. Peace requires two parties. God is holding out an olive branch to you. It comes from a cross. And if you accept that olive branch, that's all you have to do. God isn't looking for you to be perfect. He's not looking for you to try try again. He's not looking for you to become religious He's not looking for you to do X number of hours of community service. He is asking you to receive an olive branch. He's asking you to receive his son. Jesus came into the world to pay for your brokenness so that you could put confidence in him. And God could break down the wall forever between you and him. And the walls between you and your own heart. And ultimately the walls between you and others. I'm talking to some of you. You've never been to church much in your life and it's just clicked. I'm probably talking to some of you who've been in church all your life, and it's just clicked. You've heard hundreds of sermons, but for the first time in your life, it just made sense. He came to break down the wall between you and God. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.14, For Christ himself has brought peace to us when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated. Would you like to? I can't think of a better time than Christmas Eve weekend for you to have peace with God. There's no reason for you not to, because God has goodwill to it. You. you don't have to earn his goodwill. He you can't stop that. You just receive his peace. You just say, By faith, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you arose from the grave. That's what Romans 10 9 says. Let me just quote the Bible. For if you will confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. That's all God is asking you for. Basically, here's what God is asking for you. Sp- spiritually speaking, God is saying, give me your hand. Give me your trust. It's as if you were drowning and someone in a boat said, reach out. Give me your hand. That's all God wants from you. I'm going to pray a prayer that you can pray with me. I sometimes ask brides and grooms to repeat after me right here at this place. And maybe they don't come up with the words, but boy, when they get through, they're married. They're married. And and I'm going to pray a prayer like that with you. And, And you can think about these words and mean them. You get through. There's a living God on the other end. You ready? Here we go. Dear God, I'm flawed. I'm a sinner. But I believe Jesus came to give me life. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. I ask you to forgive me. Break down the walls. And make me your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, I want to make something real easy. I have a packet for you. It's got a DVD and a book I wrote that will answer a lot of questions and a coupon for a new Bible. You usually have to go back to guest services, but all the guest services people at the back doors have these. So if you just check the box on your card that says, I pray with Mark, on the way out, just hand it to them and say, I pray with Mark. And they will give you a packet. Now, please stay where you are because there's a finale you're not going to want to miss, okay? I told you we're starting a brand new series in the first week of January called Going Pro to the Playoffs. We're going into God's book of success, the book of Proverbs. So wear your jerseys, you know, because we're, it's going to be awesome. I can't wait. And then, um, well, no, no, no church next weekend at New Spring. Our staff is taking the whole week off. There's a great Internet experience you can get online, and then I'll see you the first weekend. But please stay here. We're going to receive our offering. There will be some announcements, and then you're not going to want to miss the finale.